we're so glad that you're here today. Again, how many are glad to be at Lakeview Church today? Look around you. There are a lot of people here today. If you see somebody you haven't seen in a while, be sure you get out and greet them. Tell them you're glad to see them. Amen. Um, again, we have this very same thing happening in Vernon, Texas today. Pastor Daniel's over in Vernon the last couple of weeks. We've been over there. I'll give you a little bit of a report. Um, we've been having good, uh, solid attendance, uh, generally around 130, 140 people over the last couple of weeks. And so you guys are enabling us to do that, to start that church and see God do great things. Let's give the Lord another big hand for that. But today we're going to continue on our series called The Book of Daniel. We're in our second week of The Book of Daniel. This is a six-week series, and uh, we're just really excited about what God's doing. Uh, welcome, y'all. So glad you could make it. Amen. How many, how many else drove your golf cart here today? Let's see. Nobody else drove their golf cart but you. That's great. Hallelujah. I look for a ride later. All right, so the book of Daniel, we, uh, Pastor Daniel shared this with you last week, that the book of Daniel is a book in the Old Testament. That book is a prophetic book. There are five different types of books in the Old Testament. It's one of the major prophets, and so we've talked about that. But I want to let you know something about the Bible. The Bible is about one-third prophetic. That means it talks about future events about a third of the time. And so not only is it a Bible of history or a, a book of history, but the Bible tells us of things that are coming. And so my question to you then would be, why is the Bible so prophetic? Why does God think it's important for us to know about future events? Why does he think it's important for us to know about future events? You know, just the other day I saw this sign and the sign said this, every warning label has a great backstory. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If there's a warning label on a bottle, if there's a warning label, uh, like for instance, I had a cup of coffee this morning. The coffee used to not have a label on it that said, beware, coffee's hot. But you know what? It happened in Albuquerque, New Mexico. There was a lady who purchased coffee at a McDonald's and decided that she would carry it between her legs as she drove and who knew, but the lid popped off and she burned herself. And because she burned herself, she sued McDonald's. Now McDonald's has to have a disclaimer on their cup. Coffee is hot. How many think we know that? You think we probably know that. But you know, there are things that uh, uh, we think we should know, but they still have to put the warning on there because, you know, there's a tendency sometimes for some of us to miss the warning. And I think God is as smart as all those manufacturers. God's desire, he's got threefold desire when he gives us uh, understanding about what's happening in the future. He tells us, uh, one, he wants to warn us, Two, he wants to inform us. And three, he wants to encourage us. Because not only does God know the backstory, God knows the full story. How many believe that? God knows the full story. So not only is God speaking prophetically through us through the book of Daniel in order to give us warning, but he is giving us a lesson to apply in the year that we live in 2022. Because we are facing things in 2022 that Daniel faced when his, this book was written. 
Again, Daniel is 12 chapters split into two sections. The first six chapters are Daniel's history, Daniel's uh, stories. And then the second remaining six chapters share about Daniel's dreams and his visions. And they give us a picture of what the end times will look like. One of the things that I want you to know about the book of Daniel is that it's mirrored almost perfectly the book of Revelation. The things that the apostle John saw on the Isle of Patmos, he recorded. And you can go right back to the book of Daniel and you can find every one of those things that he wrote. And so you will remember the book of Daniel was written during the time which Israel was in an exile in Babylon. They call it the Babylonian captivity. Babylon is now modern-day Iraq, and this captivity took place about 500 years before Jesus came on the scene. And so last week, we read that King Nebuchadnezzar, he besieged and he destroyed Jerusalem. And then he brought the Jewish people to Babylon to make them slaves in his kingdom. He took a few of the young men, and I know that Pastor Daniel tried to make you think that he might have been one of those young, handsome, smart young men that they took, and that's why they named him Daniel, but that's not true. Well, he may be handsome and he might be smart, but that would be up to his wife to tell us if that's true. So anyway, uh, they were looking for kid, uh, young people of aptitude so that they could work in the palace and serve the king. And so it's important that we look at Daniel's life, because as we look at Daniel's life, we can learn life lessons that will help us in our present day culture. How many know we're living in a culture that's growing more and more secularized? God's not being named anywhere. I like what Jesus said when he told us to pray. He said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here's the thing, where is God's name hallowed in the workplace? Where is God's name hallowed in our government? Where is God's name hallowed in the marketplace? It's really not anymore. And that's why we as the church, we have to stand up and give God glory. Can you say amen to that? And so while our culture is growing more secularized each passing day, it is a culture that says we'll do exactly what we want to do. That's how our culture is becoming. That people will do what they want to do. They'll say what they want to say. They'll act the way they want to act. And the idea of honoring God is some, somehow deemed outdated or even old-fashioned in our culture. And as a result, we must understand that our faith as Christians, our faith will be tested. Our faith is going to be tested. And by taking heed to the warnings that are found in the book of Daniel, we can make inside personal adjustments and overcome every single test we face. And so we're going to look at what scripture warns may well be the greatest test of our faith this morning. And it's going to be the greatest test in the last days. We're going to look at two stories of two kings that happened 23 years apart. We're going to look in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6. And you may have your notes with you and we're going to read that. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, I thank you for each person that's here today. I thank you for each person that desires to know you. 
desires to connect with you. And it's my prayer today that we will connect with your word, that it will become a part of who we are, so that in this last day when we are tested, we will stand the test. Because the Bible says that having done all to stand, stand therefore in the evil day. And so, Father, we know it's coming, and we know that you will give us strength in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, the treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officer, officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of the king that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And it's, uh, incidentally, the image that he set up was an image of himself. So this 90 foot high, 90 foot, uh, 9 foot wide uh, image of gold was an image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And then they stood before it. And then they herald, uh, a herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do. And I want you to get a picture of this. He didn't say, this is what I want you to do. He said, this is what you are commanded to do. And I want to focus on that phrase because it's applicable for us today. Because it's one thing for someone to say, hey, I have an idol. I think you should worship it. It's another thing entirely for someone to command you to worship their idol. And this is something that one day will be put to the test. And we will be tested for this very same thing. We will be asked to worship something that's against our core faith. And this is what they were asking Daniel to do. This is what they were asking the children of, uh, uh, of Israel to do. It said, O oh, people, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, of the, horn the flute, and I know everybody knows what a zither is, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And here again, listen to this. It says, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. I want you to notice the motivation for worship. The motivation for worship here is not for love, but it's by command. It's not for love, but it's out of fear. We sang, fear will have no more dominion over us. We sang it today. Fear will not guide our life. However, uh, the devil wants to force you to worship God out of fear. See, we worship, or, or worship the idol out of fear. We worship our God because we love him. We worship our God because we desire to put him first. We worship our God because he first loved us. But how many know there's no love in the enemy? There's no love in the devil. The devil is not a, a, a creature of love, but a creature of pride, a creature of sin, and a creature of hate. And so this is a sign of the end times that we, somebody is going to ask us at some point to worship something that we don't believe in. 
There's going to be Christians who will succumb to the pressure. They will compromise their convictions. And they'll do it purely out of fear of the consequences. Worship this golden idol or be thrown in the furnace of fire. With no conviction of faith in God, they will not endure to the end. And I believe the devil knows that. Therefore, the first goal of the enemy, the very first goal of the enemy is to manipulate circumstances, to cause all of us to be faced with a decision that tries to force us to worship something we don't believe in. And if we don't face those consequences. So what will we do? What will we do as Christians? I think any of us as Christians, we've thought about this at a time or two, that someday somebody's going to challenge our faith. And what will we do? You know, it's real easy sometimes to think, oh, I need to go out and share my faith. I want to give somebody, I want to share my faith with somebody. I want to see them come to the Lord. I want to share my faith with something I want to, somebody I want to pray with them. But then when God opens the door for us to do that, how many times have we balked? How many times have we said, ah, they might not like me. They might, they might think, <laughs> they might think something different about what I'm saying to them. Uh, uh, the consequences will be that I'm made fun of at work or, or at school. So I'm not going to share my faith because I don't want to suffer the consequences. In chapter 6, there's another story. It's the same scenario, but it has a little bit different twist. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, finally these men. Now let me tell you who these men are. These men are a group of men that are serving under a new king now. Remember we said Daniel's, Daniel served four different kings in Babylon. And serving this king in Babylon, this is one of the, uh, of the four. His name is Darius. Darius was a, a Mede and a Persian. And when the Medes and the Persians came and they defeated King Nebuchadnezzar and took over the Babylonian um, empire, they put up as their king this man named Darius. And actually, Darius really liked King, uh, he really liked David or Daniel. He thought Daniel was a man of God. And so he said, we will never find any basis, or here's what these men said, because while the king liked Daniel, none of his officials liked Daniel, because Daniel always showed them up, not trying, just because God had given him such wisdom. And so they didn't like Daniel, and they said, here's what's going to happen. We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it is something to do with the law of his God. And so that what they were trying to do is discredit his faith. And so the administrators, the satraps, went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or other man. See, in the first story, he said, you have to worship our idol. You have to worship this, our idol. In this second story, they're saying you cannot worship that, your God. You can't worship this in the first story. You can't worship that in the second story. This is the enemy. This is his tactic. And it said during the next 30 days, they can't worship anybody except you, O king. And if they do, 
they shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, O king, issue a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. And in their, in their culture, when the king would put a decree in writing, it was, it was law and it could not be changed. He said, it can't be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians. And it cannot be repealed. So King Darius put this decree in writing. You know, King Darius, I mean, he's just like any other man. When these men come and say, oh, we want to make a decree to worship you. That if anybody's going to pray, they're going to pray to you, King Darius. And it really fed his ego and his pride. And even though he lo loved Daniel, he didn't realize what these guys were trying to do. He didn't realize that they were actually after Daniel. And once he realized that, once he realized what happened, his heart broke. But in both of these stories, I want you to understand there is an attack. It's an attack on worship. It's an attack on worship. It's a battle over worship. You know, this morning we came, we sang three songs. I saw many of you with your hands raised, singing loudly, being willing to worship your God. But in this last day, there will be a battle over the worship, just like there was a battle over worship in heaven. In Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, both of those books tell the story that Lucifer was cast out of heaven over the matter of worship. Lucifer was quoted as saying, and many times he said, I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. I will be worshipped. God didn't suffer Lucifer's garbage very, uh, he took it kind of personal when Lucifer said, I want them to worship me, not you, God. And so the Bible says that he was cast down like lightning out of heaven. And most Bible scholars agree that this happened between Genesis 1-1 and between Genesis 1-2. In Genesis 1-1, the Bible says, in the, many, in the beginning, God, was, God created. And in Genesis 1-2, it said, then the earth was without form and void. So he created the earth, but then it became without form and void. And the reason was, is in between those two scriptures, Satan was cast out of heaven to the earth. But in Genesis 1-3, God began to fix this problem when he said, let there be light. And then he would begin to bring things back into order when he created man. And he created man for a purpose. And the purpose that he created man was he wanted somebody who would worship him because they loved him. The angels are not like you and me. They don't worship. They worship because they're commanded. But he wanted somebody who would worship him because they loved him. And so he created man, he created you, and he created me. And our first assignment was to replace Lucifer, who was the worship leader in heaven. We are created to worship God. The book of Revelation says this, it is for God's pleasure that we've been created. It is why Satan hates us so much. And so in Psalm 150, he said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It is what we are created to do. So with the whole thing started with a battle over worship, and this whole thing's going to end with a battle over worship. Now, according to the New Testament, there's a, there's, a feature, there's, a, there's a figure who is going to come on the scene, and that figure is called the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to rise up, and he will establish an idol of himself, just like King Nebuchadnezzar did. He will establish an idol of himself in the temple at Jerusalem, and he will force people to worship him. 
And how do we know that? Well, I'm going to show you two New Testament openings. The scriptures are in your Bible. Let's look first to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, don't let anyone deceive you. Now, when the Bible says don't let anyone deceive you, there's a reason. It's a warning label. It's saying, hey, this could happen. You could be deceived. And you know what? People who are deceived say, I'll never be deceived. Right? Because they don't understand that that is a possibility, that deception is a true possibility. If Satan is a liar and the father of lies, he does it well. <clears throat> and so there's a tendency for us to not know what's happening. And we might say, I'm not deceived, but again, a deceived person would say that. And so don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. This man of lawlessness is what is called the Antichrist. And the man doomed to destruction is what the Bible calls him. A man doomed to destruction. How many know we win? Come on, give the Lord a hand. Amen. We win. He's doomed to destruction. We're not. But he will oppose and exalt himself. It's the same thing. He will tell you, you have to worship me. You can't worship your God. He will oppose and he will exalt himself. It's the same two stories of Daniel. Over everything that is called God, he will exalt himself and oppose everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple in Jerusalem, proclaiming himself to be God. Jesus called this very thing the abomination of desolation. This means Satan's going to build a statue of himself through the Antichrist in the temple in Jerusalem. Now this same story is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13 verse 14 through 17 says because of the signs he was given because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast he deceived the inhabitants of the earth he ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword yet lived he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small, great, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name, which we all know is 666. And so this is nothing more than a battle for worship. Satan wanted to be worshiped in heaven and he has not stopped what he has wanted to receive in all these years. So the spirit of Antichrist is promoted, is uh, motivated. The spirit of Antichrist is motivated to do two things. And you can find this in your notes. Number one, he wants to exalt man above God. Worship anything above God. And he's trying to say, worship anything above God. And it's called hedonism. Hedonism. It determines, uh, 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 he's saying you determine good based on what you're feeling. If it feels good, we've heard this saying time and time again. If you grew up in the 60s and the 70s, you really know it. If it feels good, do it. That is the mantra. 
of hedonism. If it feels good, do it. And this is where our culture has come. The question is, in this culture, it's always this question, how do you feel? How do you feel? Churches can also prescribe to this line of belief. And then, and then what happens is people will say, well, as a church, you're too judgmental. As a church, you're not inclusive. You're not accepting. There is a battle for your worship. They don't want you to, to be able to see what God is showing you. They want you to be able to say, hey, if you feel like doing that, it's okay. God will accept you. And while God will accept you as an individual, no matter what you're doing, ultimately, if we continue to do the same thing, uh, it will pull us down. And so there's a battle for worship, a time that you will be forced to worship something contradictory to your very core beliefs. So what did they do? What did the children of Israel do? What did Daniel do? What did, the, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do when the king put them in, in the, the fiery furnace? Or what did they do when they, uh, he fed them to the lions? Listen, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not, de uh, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. But now listen to what they said. He's able to save it from us, save us from it. But then he said, he will rescue us from your hand. And O king, even if he does not, we want you to know this, that we will not serve your gods or worship your image of gold you have set up. They had a resolve. They knew who they were, they knew who their God was, and they knew who they would worship. And again, the question remains, what will we do if we're faced with that same scenario? Then the second thing the enemy wants you to do is stop the worship of God. Stop the worship of God. How many know there are laws right now? in states that are trying to keep you from open. We could, in some states, you can't even do what we're doing here today. You can't have an open public worship service outdoors without a permit. But we don't have to have a permit. Aren't you thankful? We can get together and worship our God just like this in this great state that we live in. But there are laws that are are, are, are trying to be passed to keep us from worshiping our God. Matter of fact, in Canada, in Canada, there are portions of the Bible that you cannot read publicly or it's considered a hate crime. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about speaking God's word? What are we going to do about sharing God's truth? In Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 and 12, says this, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, this is the decree of King Darius. When he heard that it had been published, look what he did. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open. They said, you cannot pray to your God. So what did Daniel do? He went home, he went upstairs, he made sure the windows were open, and he bowed and he began to pray to his own God. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. 
these men went as a group, the men that were against Daniel, went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked, asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. He said, they said to the king, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except you, O king, would be thrown in the lion's den? And the king said, the decree stands, because he did not know they were talking about Daniel. The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they revealed to him that it was Daniel that was praying. And the king, it broke his heart. Matter of fact, he couldn't sleep all night. And first thing in the morning, he ran to the, uh, the lion's den to, to ask Daniel. And he's like, Daniel, are you in there? He said, yes, I'm in here. I'm in here with the with all the cats. And they're just laying down here. And we're, they're, matter of fact, they're asleep. So be kind of quiet. And old uh, Darius was just so pleased that all of a sudden he realized Daniel was still alive. Do you understand, and I want you to understand, the, the ultimate battle in the last days is a battle over worship. It will be culture's greatest test. Culture's greatest test. And so here's the question. Do you have the guts? Do you and I have the guts? Do we have the spiritual fortitude to stand for what we believe and worship our God? How do we know we're strong enough to pass this test? What would, what would we do to give ourselves like a worship checkup? If we needed a checkup on are we willing to worship God? What would we do? Well, Jesus gave us a worship checkup. Here it is. He gave us a standard because he is our standard. He is the one we want to emulate. We want to be like Jesus. Can you say amen to that? I want to be like Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. He gave a single command. And we call it the great commandment. And it comes right from Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And it's not in your notes, but here it is. He, Jesus said that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What is our heart and soul? Our heart and soul is our emotion. It's where, how we show affection. We set our affection on him. The Bible tells us that we are to set our affections on things that are above and not on things that are below. We're to set our affections on the Lord. And so uh, if we're going to love him, we set our affections on him. And so how do we know if we're setting our heart and soul and our affections on him? Well, what do you love the most? What do you love the most? You know, for some people, it's Friday night. I can't wait till Friday night gets here. I worked all week and Friday night's mine and I love Friday night. We're going out. Or it might be the, God forbid, the Dallas Cowboys. Come on. Or any other such team, uh, pro, collegiate, whatever. I stand under great conviction on this one. Because uh, I, I have to look at myself and I say, do I give too much attention to the things that I like? Do I give too much attention? Do I give my affection too much to things that really, really do not matter? 
And then he said, give your mind. So your heart and soul is your emotion. Your mind is your, your will, your, 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 your thoughts. Do I give my attention? What am I thinking about the most? Am I, when I'm at home, am I thinking about, I mean, you could name a thousand things you could be thinking about and none of them would be God or none of them would be about the worship of God or none of them would be about the honoring of God and we allow them to get in front of our worship. So heart and soul, mind, and then our strength. What is our strength? Listen, folks, how do we know that we're worshiping God? Because we use our abilities to glorify him. The question is then, what are we doing for God? And so who do we love? What do we love the most? Or who do we love the most? What do we think about the most? What are we doing for God? See, the Holy Spirit, I'm not supposed to put the finger on things in your life. That's not my job. My job is to share the truth. Our job, Pastor Daniel, myself, the ministry staff here, our job is to help you see the word of God the, the one who puts the finger on our heart and says, you've got something out of order, that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here today. Because after all, we were created to worship. How many know every single person here, I don't care what chair you're sitting in, you were created to worship something. Bob Dylan sang a great song about it. You're going to worship somebody. Amen? He said it. You're going to worship somebody. It's just a matter of who will we worship so we were created to worship we are going to worship something who or what do you worship first and foremost and this is where we have to let the holy spirit speak to us and we have to open our eyes and open our ears and say holy spirit speak and i will listen so i'm going to ask the worship team to come and i'm going to share two final points number one here's the question who, uh, the, uh, we've got to let the Holy Spirit speak to us about who we will not worship, what we will turn from to give Jesus our best worship, who we will not worship. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, listen to what it says. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Think about this. You see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You see Daniel. You see these guys, how they stood in the midst of the fiery furnace. Uh, they said, uh, there's four people in there, not just three. There's four in there now. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. God will strengthen you when you stand to take a bold stand for him. He will give you strength. He's not looking for those. Listen, I want you to hear this. God is not looking to destroy those who are not committed to him. He is looking to strengthen those who are committed to him. He's not wanting to put you down. He's wanting to raise you up. He's wanting to make us stronger than we even know that we can be when we trust him. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they overcame him, speaking of the enemy, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto the death. That's who God wants. He wants people who love him, that even if death darkened their door, they would say, I will serve my God and no other. That's who we are. God will give strength for the day of testing. 
Again, I referenced Ephesians chapter 6 said that we will be able to stand in the evil day when we put our faith in God. Finally, who will you worship? Who will you worship? Give a, we want to give God the best of our attention, our affection, and our abilities. John 4.23 says this, Jesus said this, Yet a time is coming, and that time has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers God seeks. See, if needed, in our lives right now is the time to make our course correction. Are we the worshipers that God is looking for? And I would say overwhelmingly that answer is yes. We are the worshipers that God is looking for. Today, we need to decide where we're going to put our faith. You know, I always say this, that there are decisions in our lives that we make that guide every other decision of our life. You've probably heard me say this before. When I decided to marry my wife, Dana, wherever she went, she was right there. When I decided to marry her, I said, I, I'm not going to date anymore, okay, hon? I'm not going to go out on any dates with any other women because I married you. I don't even think about that anymore. It's not even a thought. Who should I go out with? I don't think that way anymore because I have my wife. And it's the same thing. When I make that decision to trust my God, I say there are no other gods before you. You are my only God because I love you. And so today we're going to worship together with the worship team. I'm going to ask you to stand. How many have enjoyed being out in the sunshine today? Such a beautiful day. Such a beautiful day. And that we have such a beautiful God to worship. And so with your heads bowed, your eyes closed right now, I want you to consider this question. Am I the worshiper that God is seeking? Am I that worshiper? Am I the one that said, will say in the face of the fiery furnace or the lion's den that you can take me and you can put me in there, but it will not matter because I trust my God? Am I the one that I will allow God to strengthen me when, when I am tested? If that's you today and you say, I'm that one that will worship God no matter what, I want you to raise your hand really high and say, God, I trust you today with my whole life. I worship you with my whole heart as we sing this song together. Oh, and I am a child of God. 